Hello, friends. It's that time again. Time to find your balls. It's Jeff Stuckey in the shotgun position. May or may not have been drinking since noon. Greg Allen, uh, got your hand, hands on the wheel. My hands are Hopefully on the wheel. Hopefully you have not been drinking since noon. I have not. <laughs> Good. Uh, drinking since noon of 1991. Oh, that's right. So. <laughs> How's that working for you? It's working That's good. rhetorical. Anyway, okay. there was that bourbon ball incident. Should we talk about the bourbon ball incident? <laughs> Technically, did. that's a relapse. Right. You I, should go back to meeting one. Okay, so that's got to start over at the bourbon ball. We'll talk about that next year. Okay. But you have something to talk about. Um, kind of, yeah. I got a little Christmas rant, uh, if you don't mind indulging me. No. Um, so I am not a religious person. Um, I am what you religious people call a heathen. Um, and so, you know, people approach Christmas from different perspectives. There's the people that look at it as the birth of Jesus Christ, which that's wonderful. Celebrate that. And then there's the people that do the whole Santa Claus thing, right? And like, here comes Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus. Uh, I shouldn't ever try to sing, but anyway, uh, but there is a much more, important sociological aspect of holidays in general, uh, but Christmas specifically, right? So you think about our strongest impulse is to survive. Mm -hmm. And so everything that drives us is approach avoid, right? Mm -hmm. Approach that to sustain life, avoid that so that life is not terminated. And so given that, we're hardwired with this, what's called the negativity bias, right? Because you only get to die once, right? Yeah. Once you're fucking dead, you're <laughs> fucking dead, right? So you've got this negativity bias to assume the worse. So we're more inclined to avoid than approach. And so what dictates the approach aspect of that is largely the familiar, right? So why is that important, right? So we're coming out of this unprecedented time in our society of being quarantined, of wearing face masks, right? So we've been very disconnected from each other. And as a result, right, then what becomes most significant is that negativity bias, assume the worst. Mm-hmm. That's going to hurt you. That's going to hurt. Avoid, avoid, avoid. So then when you think about the sociological value of a holiday, right, yeah. like goodwill towards men, yeah. cheer, those kinds of things, what, what holidays do sociologically is kind of a reset, to say it's safe for us to approach each other. And that's why it's so incredibly important during this holiday season in particular. It's always important, but specifically during this one. Like if somebody says Merry Christmas, they're not fucking violating your civil liberties. They're just <laughs> right. being nice. Right, right. So say Merry Christmas or whatever the kind gesture is, it's so imperative that we respond in kind, that it's safe to approach. 
so that our social fabric does not continue to unwind to a point that there's no social fabric left. Right, so right. try to set your your religious views aside, try to set your political views aside, whatever the fuck, man, just be happy. And I'm I'm Eeyore, man. I am the Grinch and I'm out there trying to spread some Christmas cheer. So join the fight with me and Merry fucking Christmas. <laughs> Happy holidays, people. How was so, that? How was that Christmas rant? That, you know, that was good. It was good. You didn't get to yelling about stuff, you know, because I so, couldn't lose my shit on that. I know you did well. And I'm a team player and I'm not a team player, man. I'm like, why bother? <laughs> yeah, everything's doomed. So anyway, we have a guest today, and I don't get excited about much, but I do have. I am excited about our guest today, even though we've never met, right? Correct. I mean, our relationship's about ten minutes old, if that. <laughs> yeah, how's it going so far? <laughs> He's like, He's still what in, the fuck did I sign up for? <laughs> um, but you and I have a mutual friend. Um, yes, we do who I, I think I can safely say we both hold in very high regard. Facts. And so one of the things that we, that man made, is, is acutely interested in is the transformation of men, of becoming better men. And so he's told me a few details about your story, and I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> like... I need to hear that story. And you graciously accepted our invitation. Uh, and we are just uh, ecstatic to have you here. Uh, really appreciate it. Glad you guys offered me to come on. Yeah. So I don't ever do this, um, but I'm going to shut the fuck up. <laughs> this will just be a few seconds here. We go back. I can imagine. <laughs> so it could be. Know? It could go longer than that. Um and I just, man, we just love to hear your story. And if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself first and then tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, Dontel Keys, uh, this guy needed a BBC here. Uh, big black Christian for those potty mind people <laughs> out there. Um, I moved here recently from um, Indianapolis, uh, by the way, East St. Louis. Uh, it's been a blessing since I've been here. Uh Come from humble beginnings, humble means. Uh, uh, recently uh, served 25 years in prison, uh, murder, uh, carjacking, criminal confinement, robbery, kidnapping. You know, you can just imagine uh, I went to prison when I was uh, ripe age of 18. Um, so when I got out, a 40-year-old man. Um, it's, so what's the backstory, man? There, take us back to the beginning, if you don't uh, mind. The backstory is I grew up in a drug-infested home, drug-infested, drug-infested environment. My father was serving uh, thirty years in federal penitentiary for uh, selling drugs out of a church. My dad was actually a pastor, uh, so early on, I had a skewed vision of the church, a mm-hmm. skewed vision of faith. Um, so, is there a point in time where, I mean, initially, that's just your normal, right? That's just normal. Like, when do you realize this ain't fucking normal? Like, this you, is. I mean, for the most part, if you're living some day to day, it is it is the norm. You don't yeah. you don't know that it's not the norm until you 
uh, introduced or invited into something different. So for me, life for me was day to day, you know, uh, gang banging, uh, shooting, uh, selling drugs. Uh, those things were what we did in, in my environment. And, you know, and uh, I'm the type of person I want to be the best at uh, whatever I'm doing. So I tried to be the best gangbanger, the best drug dealer. Um, and that's, that's, that's what I did. And it landed me in prison for 25 years. And so that for your, for your, in your development, that was just kind of a, that was the norm. This is what I do. I move into gang banging. This is what, like how, what's the progression of that? So you don't, you don't, you don't really see there's, no, no doctor down the street from you. There's no uh, lawyer who's your neighbor. You know, the guy next door from you is, you know, he's probably a fellow gangbanger. You know, you, he's probably with you uh, stealing out of the grocery store because you guys don't have any food. Uh, uh, probably, you know, on the pole with you stealing lights and cable from your neighbor because you guys don't have lights. So those are the things that you see, and that's your day-to-day life. You know, I can remember times where, uh, we had a church that, that was next door to us, uh, and, you know, my mom, uh, she spent majority of my life on drugs, and so I used to have to go jump into the trash can of the church after their bread sales and steal bread out of the trash can just so me and my brothers and sisters have something to eat. So that was our life, you know. That's, that's all we knew. And you're too busy surviving to know if this is normal, not normal, right, wrong, it's, any of that. It's just... I mean, it's not only about survival, there's, there's no role models. So if there's nobody, if you don't see the good side uh, of life, and sp- you know, we live in a time now where social media is prevalent. Everyone has social media. You can look on to see somebody, you know, living a fantastic life. I'm like, oh, I want that. But, you know, during my time, there was no social media. There was no one that you can look up to and say, hey, man, I want to be like that person. You know, the only thing we knew was Pookie and Ray Ray on the block. And those were the guys we were looking up to. And those, that's what we wanted to be like. And that was your only option. That was just like they're surviving. So, And it's, it's, it's not that that was my only option because I played football and, um, you know, and I was pretty good, and I probably could have had a pretty good career in football, but... Because um, you're fucking huge, dude. My soul- <laughs> What's it like to be huge? We'll get back to that. Anyway, okay. keep back to football. <laughs> yeah, it's just like there's... But there's no... there. There's... It's, it's, it's like a hopeless environment. So I just went back. Uh, my auntie my auntie just died here um, uh, this past week, and I went back to see... To be with family, and I just looked around my city... And it just, it's a hopeless and desolate place. And, you know, and that's what I, and I think to myself, that's the environment I grew up in. And, you know, this is what my nephews and nieces are growing up in. And it's a good chance they're, you know, they're not going to turn out so well. So you're playing football. Are you, is that like an awareness that I could potentially be successful at this? Or is it just like, no, I'm just playing football. It was just something to do, you know, uh, the, you you get uh, you get a little bit of recognition from that, uh, especially when you come from an environment where there's really been no love, there's really been no encouragement. Here it is, you got a coach, uh, coaches telling you, "Hey man, uh, you're good, great job. You know, we love you." You know, when you don't, when you haven't had that at home, like it's like, man, I want to go out here and knock this guy out because you know my coach is gonna tell me he loves me, <laughs> and that's yeah. kind of the thing. So it's the validation and the exactly. that's more the. Oh, okay. So what, okay, <laughs> preacher, drug dealer, dad? Yes. So my dad, uh, my dad served 30 years in the federal penitentiary. He's uh, selling, uh, 
He got caught in a drug trafficking scheme with uh, the mayor of East St. Louis, a uh, core officer. Uh, my dad, he's actually out now. We, we really don't have a relationship. Uh, but did you now? But he did you before before he went into prison or you? Nah, he was a piece of crap. Okay. That's that simple. Kind of yeah. sound like that. But that's, <laughs> Can't add to that. <laughs> so you, what age were you when he went into prison? Uh, I was 14, 12 or 14 when my dad went into prison. And did you have, what was your relationship with him like before that? Uh, well, so my dad was a, he was a preacher. He had a radio station. It was called the Street Preacher. And so one night I told my mom, I don't want to live with you no more. I was tired of living, you know, the way we were living. She say, so, well, I'm going to call your daddy. She And she called him up on the radio live air. And uh, she was like, your son want to come live with you. That he was on the air? Yeah, live air. That's yeah. fucking fantastic. And she, he told her, I don't have a son. And so that was that was it for me and my dad's relationship. Yeah. And what were you, did you know him prior to that? Yeah, or I, knew my that, da- yeah I, I knew my there dad. There was some familiarity yeah, cause there? Because my dad's mom she was a, a really good grandmother, and she 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 made sure that I knew my that side of the family. Uh, I just didn't have any relationships with my dad. So, like, what? How do? You, how are you managing these things? Like, as an adult now, or as a child? As a child, like, I mean, as a child, there. I mean, do you feel lonely? Do you feel stressed? Do you feel? I, I can't say you feel lonely or stressed. Is is is? It was just a way of life. It was I. You know, most of the kids in my neighborhood didn't have their dad, so why should I have mine? You know, that's and that's one of the, you know, uh, problems, uh, and especially most definitely in, in the black community, but uh, that there's a lack of fathers, and that's what I witnessed, and so it was the way of life. So 18 years old, you end up in prison. Yes. How did you, how did? Uh, it was horrible. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> what got you in prison? <laughs> it, was, it was horrible. Like, uh, I mean, 18 years old, and I was in prison. I, I ended up, I, I'm originally from East St. Louis. I caught uh, my case in Indianapolis. Uh, so uh, I went to, I was in Michigan City. And so I'm, I'm out of, I'm in Indiana, you know, uh, and I don't know anyone. I'm out of state. No family's close. Uh, so it was just me uh, amongst a whole bunch of, you know, lifers, you know, people who've been in prison for murder. And as an 18-year-old kid, you have to fend for yourself, you know. Uh, and it's, it was a rough way to go starting out. So at 18, like what – I can't fucking fathom what that's like at 18 mm-hmm. years old. I mean, I I could barely wipe properly at 18 years old. So you're confronted with that situation. Like what – how do you cope with that? I mean, it's either – uh, what I learned early on in prisons is either uh, you uh, adapt to the environment or you become prey to the environment. Uh, early on, uh, I can remember, uh, and I still got the battle wounds to prove it. Um, when I first got to prison, uh, a guy came to me and told me that I was talking too much. I hadn't said nothing, but he told me I was talking too much. Uh, but I've always been a fighter, so I beat him up. Uh, two days later, he came back and uh, uh, while I was asleep. Broke. I still got the plates in both sides of my jaw that you can feel. Uh, he broke my jaw in two places with a lock in the sock uh, while I was asleep, yeah. and that that was my that was my invitation. That was my first week in prison. Oh wow! It, okay, like, <laughs> and then what? Yeah, man. Man, I'm like, like, yeah, well, yeah. So then, how do you adapt to survive to that? I mean, you just you keep pushing. I mean, it, it wasn't like I could just lay down after that I couldn't just lay down you know uh 
after that. For it, it, but the situation did two like things. Like, do you get medical me. care, or is it just yeah, like, no, you got fucking... I got, I got pins. I had to go to the hospital. I got, I got, uh, I got pins in my jaw right now. Um, you, it, I mean, I got medical care, but the, the, the thing that that did for me, it let the other guys know that I am willing to fight, you know, and that I can take a punch because uh, while, he, while I was asleep, I woke up and beat him up again. So hmm. it was just... With a broken jaw. <laughs> With a broken jaw. I didn't even know my jaw was broken. What yeah. was so crazy, once once it happened, I, I beat him up. They they, they they pulled him off. And I couldn't, my tongue was feeling funny. <laughs> like I couldn't feel my, my bottom teeth. <laughs> so I told, my, I told my neighbor across from my side, I say, man, I can't feel my uh, bottom teeth, man. Something wrong with my uh, mouth. My He's like, yeah, your jaw's broken. <laughs> so I went and told the guards that I slipped and fell in the shower, broke my jaw, and, you know, they took me to medical, and that was that. So guards don't intervene with that sort of thing. They didn't know about it. They didn't know about it. Only way they would have intervened if I would have uh, told them what happened. But yeah. uh, And if they see it, they'll intervene. But for the most part, they, you know, it's, it's a free-for-all. So – so many fucking questions. Like, <laughs> okay, so you did twenty two years of that. Yeah. That, yeah. like, rinse and repeat. Like, was that? It wasn't rinse daily, and or it, no? It wasn't rinse and repeat. Uh, like, you eventually establish a reputation, or like, yes. don't fuck with me. Yes, I mean, uh, uh, once once he's so fucking nice, man. <laughs> this is where I'm, it's such a mind fuck yeah. because it's like. Yeah. <laughs> Keep going, like yeah. So yeah. once, 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 uh, once I got a foothold, you know, I became, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, somebody in prison you didn't want to mess with. Uh, you know, uh, if anything happened in the prison, uh, either I made it happen, I knew it was going to happen. Uh, I was a person that the guards came to and uh, to ask to calm things down, uh, to make sure things wouldn't happen, or uh, to make sure that everybody else they would bring me. Uh, certain things inside the prison. Um, so how do you achieve that status in prison? I mean, I don't know. I, you just beat people up or like, <laughs> I mean. I did beat a lot of people up, but that's. <laughs> I mean, is that like, hopefully I'll never need this information. But yeah, I, I, it's I like, you don't. <laughs> like, that's okay. That's. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just, it's, it's. It's a demeanor, a mindset that you have to have while in there uh, that, you know, uh, and I just told myself that I was going to be the vicious of the vicious. Uh, you know, I controlled uh, not only my gang, but every other gang inside of the prison, no matter um, they was um, the Aaron Brotherhood, the uh, SKs, um, everybody that did anything inside of prison had to go through me. I mean, that's like hardcore stuff, right? You're talking about living, dying kind of stuff. Yeah, it's living down. It's, yeah. What the hell happened to you, man? Like, what? <laughs> How did you become this person? God. Give me the long version, please. <laughs> like, every detail. Uh, so, I mean, my, during my prison state, I, you know, I continue to be. Uh, so you're one of the most powerful people in the prison. Is that a fair? That is that is a fair assumption. Other than, I mean, at the end of the day, the guards hold the power. But right. as far as uh, inmates, yes. Just to be honest, yes. Okay. So uh, and keep going. Uh, so I, you know, during my prison stay, you know, I continue to, um, you know, basically be a knucklehead. I uh, control the prison. Uh, so they got to the point where 
uh, they got tired of me controlling the prison, so they started shipping me to different prisons. Um, but no matter what prison I went to, uh, it would be word that I was coming, and uh, I would get that prison in order. So you, your reputation was kind of already established. Oh yeah, or would you? They, they oh. knew. They knew I was like, oh they, fuck. Yeah, they knew I was coming. Yeah, okay. They, they, you know, uh, they knew I was coming, and so uh, they started shipping me from different from this prison to this prison to finally, uh, the prison got tired of me and sent me to a prison for prisoners. Uh, it's called the Shoe. It's probably the worst person, worst place you can ever go. Uh, it's uh, it's a twenty three hour lockdown. Uh, only way I was able to leave my cell, I was able, I had to be uh, shackled, uh, feet and hands, and they would put uh, a dog leash around my back. So if I did anything, they can just snatch this leash, this leash, and I would fall on my face. Um, you know, they fed me this thing called a loaf. Uh, they would anything that they served on the tray uh, for lunch, breakfast, dinner, they would just mix it all together in a bowl, put it in this. Uh, bread basket or whatever and put it in the oven and that's what I had to eat um, and so uh, for three years you know they made me live like that because they feel like you know maybe that would make me you know get my life together so what was that like for you like what day in day out is that tormenting or are you just like fuck you motherfuckers nah, or like, what? Part, How of me, do you? part of me part of me was like no matter what y'all do you're not gonna break me you know, I, you know, um, it, it, and, and, and for, for the most part, it didn't because through a lot of it, I still was able to do the things that I was doing even when I was out in population, even though I didn't supposed to have any contact with anybody, you know, uh, I had enough pull and enough sway throughout the prison system that, you know, I still had guards bringing, bringing me cell phones in, um, until, and then it was until one night. I was uh I was uh I was sitting there and I was talking to my auntie on the phone and my auntie was like, You gonna get out here and die. She's like, You gonna get out here and die because you feel that there's nothing or nobody that you have to look up to or answer to. She said, But there's a higher power that at the end of the day that you're gonna have to come to and uh, answer for all the things and be judged for all the things that you've done and the things that you're doing. And so I, I remember, I can remember vividly, man, sitting in my cell. It's a probably about a six by eight. Only thing I got is a concrete slab to slip, sleep on because they've tried to do everything to break me. So I'm sleeping on this concrete slab and uh, the, the chaplain had brought a Bible in. And so I'm flipping through this Bible and you know how, you know, well, how I've done, I, I'll get the Bible and I'll, you know, say a little prayer like, God, if you real, I'm going to open this up and it's you go, it's going to be, you're going to talk to me. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I'm opening this Bible. Now's your chance to prove it, big <laughs> fella. Yeah, and I open this Bible. And it ain't, he didn't talk to me, you know. So um, I was like, man, this, you know, I, you know, I, I wrote my auntie off. Uh, I was like, she's. You know, she ain't talking about nothing. So I end up, but I started praying. So one, I started praying. So one day, the counselor came. She was like, uh, she stuck her head in my door. So, okay, hold up. Rewind. You started <laughs> praying. Yeah. 
Explain, please. Like I just what? started praying. I just started praying. That, like, God, make yourself real or like, uh, like what? No, I just started praying like, uh, basically, God, if you're real, you know, show yourself to me, you know, because I'm a, you know, I'm a more of a, you know, physical person. So somebody can tell but me. But you're also a powerful motherfucker at that point in time. But at, what made the inclination to start praying? The the passion and the power that my auntie talked to me with, it was just, uh, I don't know. It was just overwhelming. Like you heard her? Like I did. <laughs> like it was overwhelming. And she was, she was, cause you know, I've, and you would have to know her. Um, the way she said what she said at the time that she said it, when it's a time where, you know, I'm sending all type of money home to her. You know, uh, I got I can have anything I want in prison, you know, and she's like, you need to change your life or you're going to die, you know, uh, and it made me think. And so she said, you need to start praying. So I started praying, you know, and at, and at that point, thought, it was just kind of a God make yourself was, real. Yeah, or? I thought it was just I honestly thought it was BS because nothing happened. Uh, I didn't get any 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 warm feelings or any fuzzy feelings. But out the blue, the counselor came to me and she said, she came to my door. She said, Hey, what prison you want to go to now? You have to understand that where I was at, it was almost Guantanamo, Guantanamo Bay. This is horrible. This is probably the worst place you can be in. And she came to ask me, what other prison I want to go to, even though I'm still in prison. So that was a bona fide miracle. Man, this I'm gonna, dude, I'm going to get out of here and I'm going to go to prison. God, you are to, real. Yeah. And it wasn't even that I was saying God real. It was like I was just so happy. But what happened was they sent me to a prison called Branchville. Uh, this is a prison that's somebody like me should not have been in. It's, uh, it's, it's basically, it's almost a Christian-based facility. Uh, it's open, open territory, open dorm. Uh, I should not have been there. And you're pretty much the baddest motherfucker in <laughs> yeah, the system. I should not have been there. Exactly. I should not have been there. Uh, when I got there, the, uh, the warden, uh, the captains and everybody that came and talked to me, they was like, you're not going to do that stuff here. And I'm thinking to myself, like, okay. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. You are. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh. So I'm there though, and um, I, I'm in I'm in his program, and this guy named Chad Lamb, um, he came to me. He say, uh, "I want you." I'm in his class, and it's called it's by uh, uh, Bruce Chen, I believe. Crazy Love. Uh, I'm doing this program, and so I got to go to this class to do this program to get a time cut to get out of prison earlier. So that's the only reason I'm doing this class. Um, and so he came to me. He was like, hey, I want you to pray for the class. I, I looked at him last night, dude, if I pray, nobody getting their prayers answered. <laughs> you know, like, That's a bad gonna, idea. It ain't going to happen, dude. And so, uh, and so he started pushing for me to go to this program that they have in prison called Kairos. Uh, it's a prison ministry uh, where individuals come in. And, uh, you know, so are, at this point, are you starting to buy into this God stuff or like, what are you, are no, you I'm still not trying just, to, I'm not this trying, is going to help not, me get out of here. I'm not buying into the God stuff, but, uh, I want to get out of prison and a part of me want to be a better person. 
So, uh, so tell me about that. When did that kick in the part of you? I want to be a better person. Does that go back to auntie getting on you or it goes back to auntie getting on, getting on to me and it go back to me being at Branchville because for my entire prison incarceration, I was behind a 40 foot wall. So only thing I can see is up there's, I couldn't see any cars, any people really any devoid of any life other than you know, the other people that I'm in prison with. But I go to Branchville, and, you know, you see trees and animals and people. <laughs> it's like, man, like, dude, the world still is out there. You know, this <laughs> this ain't the walking dead. Maybe know? destroying so, shit's not yeah. so great, huh? <laughs> and so uh, so he, he, he pushed the warden to make me go to Kairos. Because uh, when they first, come in, they first came and asked me, they was like, uh, we need you to go to Kairos. I was like, I'm not going to Kairos. I don't care about food, cookies. I don't care about none of that. Uh, and so I end up going to Kairos. Uh, and dude, it it I mean, I mean, it changed my life. So there was a turning point. There. It, it changed my life. I can, Do you remember I, that turning? I can point? remember. The, I can remember the exact point. Uh, I was at. Uh, I met Kairos, and they have this thing called the forgiveness ceremony, and. Um, they ask you to, you know, they give you this piece of paper that will disappear, and they ask you to write down everybody that uh, you want to forgive or that you need forgiveness from or people that you want to forgive you uh, of any wrongdoings or any sins that you may have committed. And so um, I'm writing uh, on this paper, and, you know, uh, I write, you know, write names and, at the end, then I write my name, and you know, I just broke down in tears. And for the first time in, you know, almost 15, 20 years, I, like, shed real tears. Uh, it was so crazy. Like, we sitting there after the forgiveness ceremony, because I'm still, I'm still broke up. I don't know how – I don't even really care about how anybody else is feeling, what anybody else is going through. Uh, I'm still broke up. They bring out – I'm in prison, and they bring out ice cream and chicken. <laughs> and I'm sitting over the ice cream and chicken crying. So my table leader, he's like, he go get the pass. like, I don't know what's going on. This, this dude crying. We got ice cream and chicken. But, dude, I was so, I was so torn up uh, and just, like, so overwhelmed that, you know, uh, I just couldn't contain myself. And, you know, uh, it was just like in that moment, you know, I really felt the hand of God, and it was, it was just powerful, man. Just to be, just to be in that environment around individuals who truly loved you, just, just because they couldn't get anything from me, didn't want anything from me. You know, uh, here's men that should be terrified of you, right? Exactly, <laughs> uh, and who I've been trying to get out of prison for the last twenty years, but these guys voluntarily came. You know, come in it, yeah. yeah, like, dude, like, what's They're wrong fucking with coming in it? <laughs> like, what's wrong with these guys? But they shouldn't came. you be playing golf yeah. or something? Like, and what? it was just, and it was just a powerful, powerful experience, man. And I'm telling you, that changed my life, man. Uh, that made me to the man that I am today, and that's a fact. So, tell me about that change because, like, that was a lot of violence, a lot of anger, a lot of yeah, and it wasn't, I'm not gonna say it was. Drastic. It wasn't uh, overnight, you know. Uh, I still struggle. Like right now, to this day, I have a I have a daughter uh, that I have 
uh, that I had from prison. Uh, had her while had her while she while I was incarcerated, um, and that was after my Kairos. Um, but it was I can feel something different about me. You know, I knew that for a fact. Uh, I can tell that um, I wasn't the same person that I was, and it was even so so much so that I went and told not only my gang but the heads of every other gang that. You know, I was done. You know, I was I was. Now done. that's not typically received well, is it? No, it's supposed to be a death sentence. Yeah, supposed to be a death sentence. Uh, but I believe, I honestly believe, uh, that God puts us in certain situations for certain things because I had a friend who. Why came. did? Why was it not a death sentence for you? I, I personally, I believe it was because of God because I had a friend who maybe 10 years prior, uh, and he's been up here, uh, Wayne is met him, uh, of named James Elsie. Uh, he was in the gang. He was in my gang. He came to me, and he wanted to give his life to God and didn't want to be in the gang no more. Everybody that was in, in the cell with us wanted to kill him on sight. Uh, but I told him as long as he was true about what he wanted to do, that he can go uh, and – you know, do his God thing. Uh, Cause to me back then it was a joke. Um, but we don't have to him, worry about that motherfucker anymore. He's yeah, going to, yeah, but giving him, go bake cookies that and stuff. Him that pass, you know, enabled me to get the pass that, you know, uh, God wanted and needed for me. Mm-hmm. So what's life like for you now? Life, life, life for me now is great. <laughs> you know, like I, I'm, I'm married, uh, I've been out of prison. I've been out of prison four years now. Married. Uh, I wife, tell me about the wife. How'd you guys oh, meet? My, What's that story? Oh, my wife. We met. So me and my wife, uh, we've been knowing each other for maybe fifteen, almost twenty years now. So my wife is the niece of my best friend who's incarcerated. Uh, me and him, me and him, uh, were incarcerated together. And the, the crazy story about how me and my wife met was so. My, fr- I hadn't had a visit in prison probably about the ten years. I was in there for ten years. hadn't had a uh, visit, but me and her uncle, we we had been friends the whole time. Uh, he was a fellow gang member, and we 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 were thick as thieves. And so he told me he was happy. It was his birthday. He was like, "Hey man, I want you to come on a visit with me." Uh, for my birthday and meet my family. I'm like, dude, I ain't, go, I ain't no charity case. I don't need to go up there and meet them people, you know? And so, and he had asked her the same thing to come up there and just to, just to hang out, just because uh, he wanted, you know, I was basically family. He wanted all his family together. He told her to come up there and uh, to hang out. She's like, I ain't going up there and meet no dirty, dusty dude named Dontel, you know? And so we both end up relinquishing and, you know, uh, giving in to him. And so, and we went up there, and I mean, sparks flew, and we stayed friends for love 15. at first sight kind of thing. Uh, we we were friends, you know. Okay, we were so friends. Was... We, we 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 but we talked the whole entire our, our the whole the rest of my incarceration from that point. Uh, we there was not a time I couldn't call her. She didn't. We didn't write each other. She didn't come see me, and we were best. We we so we've been best friends. Uh, we was best friends for about 15, 15 years. And, you know, I got out and uh, she she came to see me and, you know, 
we end up getting married, man. It's, and she's probably she's probably one of the better things in the episode because she most definitely keep me grounded. I'll yeah, tell you that. That's great. That's great. <laughs> Dude, so where'd all that anger go? Dude, I have no idea. I mean, there's not to say that, you know, they're still not a part of, you know, the old man inside. But, you know, God tells us that the old man is dead, you know, and a new man is risen. And and I believe that firmly. You know, there's there's not a person that you can meet that may have ran across me or know me today and would tell you anything different, you know, um, you know, it's hard for me to put all this together in my mind, dude. <laughs> I know it's crazy, ain't it? <laughs> but God works in mysterious I mean, it's, ways. It's maybe it's crazy, but it's really fucking important. Yeah. I mean, yeah. when you think about the changes that people are trying to make and whatever, like, Oh my God. And it, I mean, Dude, I'm fucking speechless, and I am never speechless. Yeah. I can back that up. <laughs> He's always got something. I to fucking say. love to hear myself talk. Yeah. I'm like, so oh, man, I, go ahead. Where, where would you find the the role models wow. or what what we referred to earlier as the normal life? Because you had never seen that, right? So God got a hold of you and changed the inside. But yeah, so the the the, the next step was to. You guys are challenging my atheism here, yeah. man. I'm like, so I'm to, having a come to Jesus moment. <laughs> yes, as you should. Uh, so, at there was a time where you know uh, the only people I hung out with were people who I felt comfortable with, people who I felt were like me, mm-hmm. you know, people who I felt knew my struggle. But if today, if you look at my Rolodex, it'll be those people won't be like. There's no way that in you know, in my early days that I would have hung out with Wayne. Right. You know, we have two different ways of thinking or had two different ways of thinking mm-hmm. and we live two different lifestyles. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now, uh, you know, men of faith, men of character, uh, those are those are people that I gravitate towards. Yeah. You know, those are people that God chose to put in my life, and he chose mm-hmm. to put those men in my life for a reason because God had a higher purpose for me. You know, now I you know, I serve on I serve as a youth pastor uh for the YCC. This is troubled teens. Oh shit, that's fucking kids, awesome. Kids who are going through the same things mm-hmm. that I went through as a kid. But not and even close because you've got so much more credibility. Right. But who God. better to talk to these kids than somebody who knows exactly where they're yeah, at? That's awesome. You know, uh and so and I believe, uh, you know, God does everything for a purpose. You know, he put each and every one of us in someone's lives uh, for a reason. You know, uh, some people we learn from, some people learn not, what not to do from. Uh, and it's up to us to figure that out. And God has put people in my life that I can count on and trust. And it's just, it's it's been an amazing thing. Yeah. Wow, that's great. So you might not have had a clear picture to start out with. But as these men come into your life, you could see, oh, that's a better way to think. And to right. Act. And it yeah. is because, and and what's so crazy, so like right now, I have men that I call on. Uh, Wayne is one. Uh, Brian Jennings is another. Jim Stauber uh, and uh, Gene Bacchus. Each one of these men. Gene Bacchus? Are, yeah. That's, my eighth grade football coach. Shout out to Gene. That's one of my best friends. Is, <laughs> we have lunch like at least once a month. Tell Gene yeah. I said hi. Yeah. Tell him my football career petered out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so each one of these men uh, hold a different uh, section in life, mm-hmm. you know, and they hold a different section in my life. You know, I have I get different advice from each one of them. And I'm humble enough, humble enough now to know 
that I need that advice versus yeah. back then I was the shot caller. I knew everything. Right, right. Now I know, like, I, I can't, not to say I can't, but God put these men in my life for a reason. So, hey, uh, what you think about this? Mm-hmm. And I don't have a problem calling, you know, saying uh, I may need some help on this. I may need some advice on this. What do you think about this? Mm-hmm. And I have not once been turned down, yeah, you know, yeah. and it's and it's not that, you know, I call and say, hey, uh, I need some money. Hey, <laughs> right, I need right. you to come take me here. No, it's if nothing else is, uh, you know, what do you think? What kind of advice can you give me? Or what what position you can put me in so I can earn whatever I need? Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, and that's yeah, that's, that's I, and I'm, I'm extremely thankful. Yeah, for that. and there's probably some accountability there, so you don't get outside of boundaries that are set for yourself because you know these men will speak to you about they it. They will speak to <laughs> me about it. <laughs> yeah, most, uh, and that's and that's why I say each each person different. Like with Gene and Brian, they're more stern. Uh-huh. You know. Uh-huh. Uh, and you know, me we sometimes as men we we have heated conversations, but at the end of the day, you know, it's always respect and it's always love because I know that uh God placed uh these individuals in my life for a reason. Yeah, that's great. So what's it like to be so jacked? Like you're what's, just fucking ripped, man. Like I don't know. I don't even Is I, it I, not fucking so, have you always been this way? You're a fucking more, beast, but I dude. Know somebody that's bigger than me. I got a friend, Boy oh. Blaylock. He's 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 bigger than me. So there's always somebody bigger than you. So you just gotta stay humble in in, in your own parts. Yeah, yeah. dude. If I'm ever that fucking jacked, I ain't. I'm shirtless, twenty four seven, three sixty five. Man, I don't care. Ten below zero. I don't give a shit. I ain't putting a shirt on. So, so okay, you gotta come back. Like, can we make you do that? On the podcast, he means. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. He was like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah I wouldn't mind coming back. Uh, I wouldn't mind coming, coming hanging out with you guys. I think and the fascinating fun. thing is what what intrigues me so much. I mean, there's so many things about your story that are so intriguing. But, you know, I look at it more clinically, you know, from a therapeutic perspective. But the thing that I would want to kind of pick your brain about is to have as much power as you had and to be able to give up that power is a very unnatural thing. Exactly. And you know, it's just, you know, the old saying like absolute power corrupts absolutely. But it's like you were in a profound position of power and it would be incredible to just kind of, really dissect relinquishing that, right? Because it's a lot of fucking power. Yeah. But the other thing is you seem like you're fucking, you're so goddamn nice and happy. <laughs> like, I mean, like uh, I'm pretty sure. And I've been in rooms, <laughs> I've been then. in rooms with sociopaths before. <laughs> and that ain't like, that ain't your vibe, man. You're yeah. just like, I want to hang out with this guy. It's not like I'm scared he's going to like cut my heart out. Like that just, you just are one of the, absolutely one of the most remarkable people I have ever met in my life. I mean, wow. No, we appreciate you like giving the time and telling your story and God damn, we'd love to have you back. Yeah. I mean, anytime you guys call, man, uh, uh, answer the bell. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for uh, 
your story, anybody out there, this is the guy you want to talk to. If you're struggling and you're trying to get from one place to another, uh, fuck me, man. Like, I <laughs> forget about me. Call downtown or call me because I got his cell phone number and I can hook you up for a fee. I mean, there's got to be something in it for me. But just a radical story of transformation that just defy. I don't have a clinical explanation explanation for it, dude. And the crazy just, thing about it is it's true. Yeah, that's, right. that's the best part. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Buddy, again, thank you. Like, I can't say thank you enough for your time, for your story. We will make you come out, come back and Merry Christmas to you. Hope you have a wonderful holiday season. Go out there and spread some fucking Christmas cheer. Okay. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Get out there. Merry Christmas. And we'll talk to you next Thanks, time. Tito. All right. You guys have a good one.